let's go before our Lord in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I never really pictured my dad growing up advice, type of father that gave an abundance of fatherly advice. Uh, but the truth is that my dad div- did, in fact, give me and all my siblings quite a bit of wisdom and counsel growing up. Now, whether or not his kids or this kid in particular took all of advice is a matter for a different day. But one piece of advice that I remember my father giving time and time again was this. Finish strong. This past week, my dad and my siblings were out visiting for Christmas and New Year's, and I asked my brothers and my sister if they remember dad giving them that advice. And unanimously, all four of us remember two times in particular that you could always count on dad telling you to finish strong. Growing up, our dad was our coach, and when he wasn't our coach, he was our biggest fan in the stands. And so during sporting events, during games, whether it was at halftime or in the closing minutes, whether it was during a season or during a particularly difficult practice, you could always count on dad telling you to work hard, finish strong. And then at the end of school, at the end of a school year or the end of a semester, when we would call home to dad and tell him just how rough our life was, how busy school was, how difficult the exams were, and how hard all the projects were, you could always count on dad telling you that, hey, you'll be home soon, but work hard, finish strong. Personally, I remember there was one summer where I had a summer job that, to, well, put it nicely was not fun. And with just a few weeks left to go in the summer, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to throw in the towel now. So I told my dad, hey, I'm going to tell my boss I'm going to be done two weeks early. My dad said, no, you're not. You're going to finish strong. You told your boss you're going to work to this date, so finish strong. And if you can believe it, this last week, while my dad was out here, um, he was playing with my seven-month-old. And in the other room, I could hear them working on crawling and you can guess the encouragement he gave my son. Finish strong. Growing up, I used to think that my dad just liked to repeat himself or hear himself give the same piece of advice. Um, But now I realize that that advice, finish strong, was actually very important, very intentionally given, and was really quite insightful. And even though I didn't follow it all the time, I'm thankful today I know what finish strong means. Finish Strong recognizes that in life, no matter what you're doing, there are going to be a million things pulling at your attention, trying to get you distracted off what should be your number one priority. And if you're distracted from what you should be doing, you'll go about what you And so to finish in such a way that gives glory to God and to finish in a way that you can be proud of, my dad would say, finish strong. This morning, can we take a second and try to apply his advice to all of us just a second? Okay, are you ready? Um, Put your hand up nice and tall if you have New Year's resolutions. Anybody? New Year's resolutions? Okay, all right, a couple people. Now, let me be just a little more specific. How many of you have New Year's resolutions, not for 2018, but had New Year's resolutions for this year, 2017? All right, how'd you do? Not so hot? 
All right, well, you have 13 and a half more hours approximately to work at those and finish strong if you're not done with those yet. Um, But perhaps a lot of you are like me and, and don't even remember what those resolutions were that you made 12 months ago. Well, don't worry, you're, you're actually not alone. Um, a sad statistic out there says that 88% of people that make New Year's resolutions don't complete them. They don't finish the year strong. They don't resolve what they set out to do. And you might be thinking, man, our society, our, our culture, is people that make New Year's resolutions are a bunch of just lazy, undisciplined, unmotivated oafs, right? Well, no, researchers have actually found that people who, who make New Year's resolutions, 88% of them, the majority of them, are actually doomed from the start. Reason being, well, they set goals or they make resolutions that don't have a clear finish line. They make goals that don't have a, a real set determinable outcome that you can achieve. For example, someone says, I want to shed a few pounds and be healthier. Well, They never sit down and actually figure out a diet that makes sense for them or or come up with a workout program that they're going to stick to. Other people say, hey, I want to save more and spend less. Well, they never put together a realistic budget. And so here we are. We're We're in church at the close of one year and the start of a new year. And we get the chance to look back and thank God for all of his grace that he's given us. And we get the chance to also look forward and praise our God and ask for his blessing on our new year. And as we do so, in our lesson for today, we're actually going to get some fatherly advice. Some fatherly advice from our Heavenly Father that tells us to look at life a little bit differently. Instead of seeing life as year-long sprints after this thing or that thing, and if we don't achieve those things or these things, well, we'll just resolve to do better next year. Our God tells us endurance race. One race that has one clear objective. And that is to win first prize. And that is to win the prize, the crown of righteousness. And so this morning, here's what I'm going to ask of you. I'm going to ask you not to see our time together here in worship or our time together during this sermon uh, as standing around at the start of one race or gathering together at the close of a race, but rather see yourself as a runner, a Christian runner standing at a pit stop, a, a water station along the way where you and I get the chance to fuel up, fuel up on the water of life, God's word. And you and I get the chance to fuel up on his word, on his water, for a race that requires two things, discipline and motivation. Discipline, knowing what we are running after and what the finish line looks like and what it takes to get there. And also motivation, knowing why we are running and why it is that we are able to finish strong. Our gospel, excuse me, our gospel lesson this morning was from Matthew chapter 17. Our sermon lesson this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here the Apostle Paul writes this. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? 
run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is God's word. Here, the Apostle Paul is comparing himself to an elite athlete. An athlete that is, is in strict training for one reason and one reason only. That's to win. That's running a race, not to just finish or, or eke out a, you know, a, a second place or a third place, but to finish and actually win it all, get a medal. And as he does so, he talks about the fact that, well, strict training, disciplines required. A runner, for example, knows that if you are actually going to win the gold medal, if you're going to win first, plot, first prize, well, it requires more than just think about a few laps in the weeks ahead of training. No, you, you need to, for some time, think about, well, your diet, that you're taking in enough protein, carbs, and drinking the right fluids. A runner who wants to win at the elite competitive level needs to think about stretching and strengthening all their muscles. They need to think about their mental and emotional well-being. They need to make sure they're getting enough rest. A runner that runs to win the prize would never cheat on their diet and indulge in their favorite cheesecake or a plate of Christmas cookies just because it's sitting out. A runner that wants to win first prize wouldn't stay up late at night just because their favorite Christmas movie or the game is on TV. No, no runner would tell their coach, hey, I love running. I know, I know the race is coming up in just a little bit, but I'm going to take some time for my hobby and well, I'm going to go skiing. No, they, no runner would put themselves at risk. They understand that to win the prize, to come in first, well, it requires discipline in every single aspect of life. And if that's what's required, well, for runners that run to win a medal or for a prize, well, how much more for Christian athletes, for Christian runners who are running for a different prize altogether? Apostle Paul says they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. As we close out this year and and look to start a new year, I'm going to ask you to take the whole idea of New Year's resolutions and throw it away for just a second. And think about this. If there was just one thing, if there was just one thing that you dedicated all your time, all your energy to, what would it be? If there was just one thing in life that you wanted to finish strong in, what would it be? I think for a lot of us, that's, that's a pretty tough question to ask, ask and answer, right? There is a myriad of things that we would love to do. It would be amazing if we did them in a year, and it would be incredible if we did them in a lifetime. For, perhaps for some, it is a, it's a personal goal. We do want to be healthier. Maybe we want to reach a career mark or, or achieve another financial goal. Maybe we want to quit smoking or take up a new hobby read a book or write a book or spend more time with family, right? There's a lot of things we could do. But I think if we're even more honest with ourselves, we'd have to agree that all of those things are really, really a distraction 
from what's most important in life. The real question we should ask is not what do you want to finish strong in, but what does our God want us to finish strong? Do not King David prayed this prayer in the 119th Psalm. He said, O Lord, do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. King David's prayer, it's really a prayer to finish strong. And King David recognizes that there's really only one way to do that. That's to follow in the path of God's commands. It's to run in the way of his decrees. For the Christian athlete, for the Christian runner, there's really only one finish. And that is to finish strong in God's word. That is to run from anything that distracts us, anything that entangles us, and, and to run where our God is found, to his word. And that all sounds good, doesn't it, right? And yet how often, well, haven't we acted like the undisciplined athlete, the undisciplined runner, right? Who, who does indulge themselves and cheat on their diet and well, indulges in, in anger or, or lust and gossip or lies? How often haven't we set aside time to train with our coach, to strengthen our bodies and really strengthen our souls and yet something more interesting, something more fun, something more important has come up and we tell our coach, now nah, I'll just work out some other day. And we, and we do, we come up with fine sounding excuses, right? We say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna train, I'm gonna work out, and I'm gonna get in better shape when, well, when my kids grow up or, or when there's not so much going on at work, then I'll train more with the Lord. But really, all we're saying is, God, what you tell me to do, what you ask of me, what the course that you set before me is like is, ah, I got a different plan. No, no coach would ever work with a runner that had that attitude, would ever work with any athlete that told them, no, I'm just going to do my own thing today. And so often, that's how we run with our God. This past March, I did get to cross something off of my New Year's resolution list. I did get to cross off well, something that was on my bucket list, I got to participate in and, and finish a marathon. And, and when I did that and I came into the closing miles of that race, I saw something that, well, made a rather sad impact on me. The course was set up in such a way that as runners finished the race, they ran parallel with the course in the very early miles of the race. And as I headed towards the finish line, I looked to my right and I saw runners in the very early of the race, not even halfway, not even a quarter of the way through the race, walking and running very slowly and being forced to get into vans by race officials. Some of them weren't very happy about it. Um, some of them were glad about it. But either way, it, it really bothered me because I was here towards the end and here runners were forced to get cut off. They couldn't even participate in the race because it was inevitable, because of their pace, because of the way they went about the race. Well, they'd never finish in the generous time slot given to runners. And why do I tell you this story? Well, it's certainly not to make any commentary on how I ran the race or how fast I finished it because at that point, I was really just crawling towards the finish line. But the point is, to demonstrate what happens in a race when you enter it half-heartedly or you go about it in an undisciplined way. 
The Christian life, the Christian race that we run in as Christian runners is not a race that once entered in, we can just go about in our own way. We can just go about walking or setting off on our own course. There's so many people that want to be a Christian, that want to have the Christian experience, but they want to negotiate with their coach what kind of training they do. They want to determine their pace. They want to determine what rules of the race they follow. But what happens to someone that runs like that? Well, something that's much more embarrassing than riding to the start line with race officials. You end up getting cut off. You end up not even being allowed to run in the race with your God. You end up being separated from your God and and suffering not the embarrassment of riding in a van to the start line, but the shame and guilt that comes with spending an eternity in hell. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The Apostle Paul was not a masochist. He did not enjoy pain. He did not beat himself. But what he said was that I recognize there are certain temptations, certain things that my body wants. Some of them might be sinful temptations. Some of them might just be things that feel more necessary than training with my God. But in all these things, I strike a blow to my body. I deprive myself of these things. Why? So that I can have the blessings that come with wearing the crown of righteousness. The Christian runner knows that there is really only one finish. It's a finish, it's a faith of the everlasting promise that Christ makes, of an everlasting promise with him. It's a faith that comes from fleeing and running away from anything that distracts and and running to our God. And what we discover is that discipline, well, it's not this burdensome thing. The Christian life, the Christian race is not overbearing, but with Christ, discipline is equals freedom. Listen again to what the uh, King David said in Psalm 119. He said, O Lord, do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. With the Lord, there is freedom for our hearts. There is freedom for our run. Our Lord says, do you have anything that stresses you? Do you have anything that worries you? He says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Run fast, run free with me. He says, are there temptations to run after uh, man's approval, to run after things that are pleasurable, to run after things that are not me? Yeah. He says, but seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and everything else that you could want will be given to you as well. The Apostle Paul says, don't train like someone beating at the air. Don't run aimlessly, but run with me. Run a disciplined race, running to God into his word, and finish our race with, by crossing our finish line with the cross of our Christ as our lifeline. That's finishing strong. But finishing strong, it's not an easy thing. That's why not many people do it. Finishing strong is difficult. You remember that 88% of people that, that failed their New Year's resolutions? Well, guess what? It didn't happen in January. In fact, 75% of people are successful with their New Year's resolutions in January. But come June, well, 
only 40% are successful. And it's by December that we see that only 12% of people are successful and 88% fail with their New Year's resolutions. Why? Well, because finishing strong is hard. At some point, people lose motivation. They lose their reason why they're doing what they're doing. And that's the second characteristic that Paul talks about in our lesson for today. He talks about motivation. Motivation being the reason one has for acting the way that they do. But what role does motivation play in the life of a Christian? Well, take a look at this painting. Uh, This painting of the transfiguration done by the famous Renaissance painter Raphael depicts the transfiguration. And what I love most about this painting is that it not only depicts what was going on before Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, but also shows what was going on with the other nine apostles, Jesus' other disciples during that time. It's what happened in our gospel lesson for today. The father brings his suffering son to the disciples and says, can you heal him? Can you make him well? He's suffering from seizures. He's he's suffering from a demon. Can you drive him out? And Jesus' disciples say, yeah, we got this. In chapter 10 of Matthew, God sent us out. Jesus sent us out. He gave us power, authority, and the ability to drive out demons. Where's your son? They brought him over and said, get out. Be well. But they couldn't do it. And one after the other, all the apostles failed at doing it. And they stood there confused. They stood there embarrassed after why they couldn't do it. You remember what Jesus said to them? He comes not to a group of heathens, not to a group of unbelievers, but Jesus comes to his own disciples and says, you unbelieving and stubborn generation, how much longer do I have to put up with you? What's going on? Bring the boy to me. And as soon as he does, the young man's healed. Now even more confused, the disciples ask, why? Why weren't we able to do this? And what did Jesus say? He said, it's because of your faith. You put your faith in you and your abilities and your past experiences instead of in me and my strength. Motivation is the reason one has for acting the way they do. It's their reason why. In a moment of weakness, the disciples, well, they lost what their source of motivation is, their source for acting the way that they do, and they put their faith in themselves instead of Christ. And so it is for us, right? If we think that we can run this race of life, if we can run it with strength and stamina and and leap over any obstacle that comes in our way and get through any challenge that we face because we're strong runners, because, hey, we run with the Lord and, you know what, we serve our Lord, we give to our Lord, we we pray to our Lord. And now, at some point, we're going to stumble. At some point, we're going to fall and not be able to finish strong at all. The book of Hebrews also uses the analogy of Christians being runners. The book of Hebrews paints a picture of a race lined out in front of us, a race that's actually filled with obstacles. The most difficult of which is right at the start line. The obstacle is a wall, a wall called holiness and perfection. And it's a wall we can't run around, it's a wall we can't hop over, and it's a wall we can't go under or through because we're crippled by our own sins, by our own imperfections, and we can't run at all. But what God did is enter his son into the race for us. And when Christ 
took off, when the start gun went off, Christ took with him our sins and our imperfections and he took down that wall and now we can run free with him. Christ is not only the reasons why we can run, but he is the reasons why we have the ability to run with him. Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles. And that includes all of our sins of, of trying to do our own training program, of thinking we can run on our own, make it without our God. Let's throw off all the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The very same Jesus that endured the cross for us is the same Jesus who makes us endurance runners able to endure our crosses and run for him. It is his love, it is his race to the cross for us that allows us to run with him. It is his forgiveness, his strength that that shocks our heart and allows it to beat in such a way that we can keep up with him, that we can run with our God. The Apostle Paul, before he gives the analogy of a runner, starts off by saying this. He said that I do all this for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Paul says, I do everything. I do all of this training. I do all of this beating of my body, subjecting it to strict training so that I may share in the blessings of the gospel. The blessings of the gospel is nothing more than the story of righteousness for us and placing it on our heads, not because of our finish, but because of his. But because he said, it is finished. We get to wear his crown of righteousness. Both discipline and motivation are found in the word of God. The word of God that came and made his dwelling among us. The word that came to us just a week ago and whose coming we celebrated at Christmas. May that word and that message give you strength as you run forward in the new year. Amen. Would you please stand and let me pray for you. Dear God, we pray, take my life and let it be dedicated, Lord, to thee. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Lord, help strengthen all of us so that we may finish strong this race of life and one day hear you say to us with our own ears, well done, well run good and faithful servant. Amen.